0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message.
1: Uh, Thanks for being here tonight for everybody. It's First Wednesday and... uh I don't know, man. I feel like somebody came in expecting something tonight, which is awesome. I also feel like that somebody came in tonight and um, God would just have this little word for you. Don't do church as usual tonight. Because if you just do the same thing you always do, you'll get the same thing you've always gotten. And some of you need a real breakthrough tonight. So you may need to press in a little different than you normally press in. And that's okay tonight. All right? So let's press in. I'm, I'm excited for uh, our preacher tonight. Andrew Gard is pastor at Grace City Church, him and his, him and his wife, Christina planted that church about seven or eight years ago and man it is an incredible church in Lakeland Florida they also uh, are parents to three and a half year old twins I think and so uh, we are so honored I've been friends with Andrew for a few years now but I am so excited and faith I want you to make welcome and I want us to go crazy as we make welcome pastor Andrew Guard to come and preach God's word
0: Right on. Well, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Am I good? All right, good. Uh, well, man, it is—it's uh, good to be here uh, at Faith Assembly. Come on, are you glad you're in church on a Wednesday night? You could be anywhere, but you're in church, and uh, it's good—it's good to be with you. And uh, uh, I really am honored to be here. And uh, uh, Pastor Johnny, uh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, you and your wife and your kids are—are are really uh, where we come from. These guys are legends. Come on, do you appreciate your pastors? Are you grateful for your pastors? And um, we, we were in the back here and uh, I was introducing another guy that's here with me tonight. And I, you know, I, I called Pastor Johnny just like, just the living legend and the investment um, that in particularly for a season of their life that they made into young people uh, is legendary. And I know um, uh, we live in a day and age of hyperbole You know, where we look at a 19-year-old like, oh, he's such a legend. No, he's not. He's not a legend, he's 19. There's no way he's a legend unless you're LeBron. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, So I say that with all sincerity. And I say that with all honor. uh, And I think there's a beautiful thing that takes place when a church is committed to young people. And, uh, and this church has a legacy of being committed to young people, and so I'm so grateful for the Wilsons that have invested in that, and now how it's just went from generation to generation, and, and, uh, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a special thing, and, uh, and I'm honored to, to play a little uh, small role tonight. Well, uh, I'm also excited because I'm smack dab in the middle. I'm off for like five weeks right now. I always take, uh, at our church, I always take around four or five weeks around this time, Uh, because I'm like, everyone else is on vacation. I'm taking vacation too. Uh, But I wanted to be here so bad uh, because uh, this church has been such a model for us. Um, You know, Grace City Church, uh, we're coming up on seven years in September and we've seen God do uh, uh, some really fun stuff. And it's been super easy to pastor church in the last two years in particular. It's been really easy. Um, So that's sarcasm. You're gonna hear a lot of that tonight. And, uh, and so I'm so grateful uh, uh, to be on this journey and I'm so grateful to have churches in Central Florida, uh, uh, like a faith assembly that we get to look to uh, that's been a real pace setter for us. So why don't you give it up for yourself? Come on, I know you don't get to do that very often, but give it up for yourself. Um, I've also been married, my wife and I just celebrated our 17 year uh, wedding anniversary uh, this last week. And, uh, and this is our little family right here. This is our little family. And, uh, and that is, we have three and a half year old twins. That is Justice Andrew Gard uh, that my wife is holding. And that is Adriana Grace. Uh, that is our little girl and they are absolutely amazing. And uh, uh, what you're looking at is, is a real miracle. My wife and I uh, really had to navigate uh, almost a decade of undiagnosed infertility. And, uh, and you stay faithful and stay faithful and stay faithful. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you uh, if you're in the room right now, I'll talk a little bit more about it in my message, but uh, if, if you're just on a journey where God is asking you to be faithful in anything, can I just encourage you, man, just can. Continue to seek the face of God, continue to serve people, continue to do what God put in your heart, uh, because I just really believe that God's timing is yes and amen. God's timing is perfect, God's timing is good. And so I wanna encourage you to to keep pressing in. Well, I I wanna preach a message today. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 16. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 16 and then we're gonna flip flip to the book of Revelation. Uh Uh-oh. Revelation chapter three, verse seven. I wanna preach a message today that I'm calling, Where Are the Pillars? Where are the pillars? Come on, we live in a day and age where we need pillars. We live in a day and age where we need some solid people We live in a day and age where we need some faithful men and women of God that say, hey, I've been saved, I've been redeemed, I've been restored, and I am not going anywhere. My circumstance is not gonna dictate whether I'm a Christian. I have been saved by God, and as a result, if that's the only thing God ever did for me was save me from damnation, then that is worthy alone for me to give him my entire life. Come on, anybody... Say, hey, I want to be a pillar. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it uh, it, it reads like this. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about me? Now, Now that is a fascinating question right there. And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Peter gets, uh, 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 he gets a lot of stuff, huh? Because he misses it a lot, but he sure got it right on this time. And Jesus answered "And blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then in Revelation chapter three, verse seven, Starts out like this, God tells John the Revelator, I want you to write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet, and they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown." And all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Where are the pillars? Come on, let's pray together tonight over the preaching of God's word. God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I ask that you would submit our will before you. And God, where our ways and our precepts and our thoughts come in conflict with yours, I pray that ours, was, that ours would submit. And God, we love you. We ask you to speak to us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, if I could go out to, to Starbucks with, with every single one of you, uh, I'd love to ask you a question. And if I could do this, this would be the question that I would ask you. I would simply ask you, what do you want out of life? Another way that I would maybe ask it is, what are you going for? What are the things that you are desiring in your life? And when we were younger, we actually used to play a game where we would kind of kick the tires on this thought experiment. It was a game, now this this is gonna age me and and this is gonna gonna figure out generationally what's going on tonight. But there was a game when I was coming up in elementary school that we would play called M.A.S.H., now, let me see again if you, if you know this game. Let me see again if you know this game, right? It's this game called MASH. <clears throat> and what you would do in elementary school, uh, you would, you'd write down on a piece of paper, you'd, you'd create a little square, and you'd write MASH on the top. And do you remember the letter stood for something? It was an acronym. Like, the M stood for what? Mansion, right? The A stood for apartment, right? The S stood for shack. You didn't want that. Right, And the H stood for house. And then what you would do is you would go around this thing and you'd, and you'd make little dashes. You'd make little fill-in boxes right underneath this and on the side of this. And, and, you'd write, and you'd ask your friends really important questions that you should be thinking about when you're 11, like, who are you going to marry? And so you'd look around the class... You'd start saying names, and you'd put four names kind of on these boxes. Then you'd get asked other really important questions that 11-year-olds should be thinking about, like, how many kids are you gonna have? (laughs) And you'd write down numbers, right? And you'd write down numbers, and uh, what are you gonna do for a living? And there'd be all this stuff on this box. And then at the very end, it was kind of a strange part of the whole sequence, is one of your buddies would start drawing like a circle almost like a spiral, and then you would tell them when to stop, and you'd say, stop. And then they would count them, one, two, three, four, five, six lines. And then what they would start to do is they would start to go around and count one, two, three, four, five, six. Scratch out Sarah's name, you're not marrying her. One, two, three, four, five, six. You're not gonna play in the NBA. Like, they would start, (laughs) it would start doing this. Like, oh, man, And, and, and you'd, you know, Things would get scratched out. The mansion would get scratched out. Oh man, okay, but at least let me live in a house. And this would go around. And it's kind of a silly way to prognosticate the rest of your life. And and what what I find interesting is I I feel like uh, we're getting older, but we're still doing a lot of the same type of guesswork when it comes to what we want out of life. We're getting older and and we're still not sure uh, what exactly we want. This is why we have to pay attention to what we desire. Because what you desire will always begin to lead your feet into where you're going. This is why, this is why you gotta lead your desires. In, in fact, our kids, they're twins. And I, I remember about a year ago, uh, they went from the crib. Now this is a big uh, moment in the life of any parent when we go from the crib to the big kid bed. This was a big deal in our house and we did like two for, we bogoed that thing, we did two for one. So we're kind of at the same time and, and, and they're both getting put in beds. And if you're a parent, it's a really vulnerable situation you're in because what was awesome is when they were in the crib, they were trapped. I'll see you at seven, little homie. Like. <laughs> we put them behind the bars <laughs> and we'd walk away. But when we put them in in the big kid bed, it was a weird vulnerable experience because you just put them in the bed and you just back away and you're like, they could just get up. Like at any time they want. They can just get up and walk out. And so it was kind of a weird thing. And and early on, they did really good with it. Like we couldn't believe it. Early on, they were like, they just stayed in bed. There wasn't anything trapping them inside. That's amazing. Well, after about like two or three weeks, um, uh, they regressed. And they real, I think it, I think it hit them. They, they, they were almost like caged animals at a zoo. They went, and then they started coming downstairs. And there was about like a week stretch where like every hour, and it was almost like they were doing it on purpose. They were like, like they, they were trying to get at us because they wouldn't even come down together. It was just like every hour, it was the opposite one. They were plotting. And they would come down, in every hour, we were like, ah, and we got to take them up and like put them down. And, and this was going on for like a week or two, and we were like, we cannot live like this. Like we, we can't do this. And so we're trying to figure out, we're trying to figure out like how to do this and how to discipline them. And then we figured it out, and we said, hey, if you guys stay in bed all night, as soon as you get up in the morning at 7, 8, as soon as you get up, as soon as your light turns green, we have these light things in our in their rooms. As soon as this light turns green, you can come downstairs and you can pick out a treat, anything you want in the pantry. I know some of you you're like judging our parenting skills. You're like, you let your kids eat cookies at seven. Yes, we let our kids eat cookies. <laughs> and it worked. It literally worked. It was like the, the next day, they come down, they're like, oh, we got what we want. and they just come down at 7 a.m. now. And it taught me something that, that, that I already knew is, is that your desire becomes your direction. Whatever you're desiring. And, and so can I help attune tonight what you, I think you and I should want, especially if you're gonna follow Jesus? There should be something that we all should want. Now what's going on with the Church of Philadelphia is is, it's a fascinating thing because they're having to battle something that you and I have to battle. In fact, they're having to battle the same thing that Peter had to battle and it was this, this tension of managing opportunity and consistency. Opportunity and consistency. Now the Church of Philadelphia, uh, they were perfectly positioned for gospel advancement. They were perfectly positioned. In fact, uh, during that time, Philadelphia was the gateway city that connected Europe and Asia. So everybody that would travel from Europe into Asia or the other way around had to go through Philadelphia. And so uh, it's, it's the reason that the, the, the Greeks at the time went, this is, a si- this is a perfect city to propagate the Greek way of life. And so it was an epicenter for the Greek way of life because they figured, hey, everybody's gotta pass through here. And so when people became Christians, they made the same connection. And they went, man, everybody has to flow through here. So it was a city that was poised with a perfect opportunity to reach the world at that time. So what they have? They had opportunity. The problem was the consistency part. And the reason why they struggled with consistency actually was no fault of their own. The reason why they struggled with consistency is because Philadelphia was also a city that would have a lot of earthquakes. In fact, the city was situated directly on a fault line in which they would experience a lot of earthquakes. And so they actually had to have their belongings in such a way to where they could wrap it all up in one blanket and pick it up and take it out as the tremors would start. Because once the tremors started, it wasn't like it would just last a few seconds. There would be, there would be aftershocks and aftershocks and aftershocks. And so oftentimes, uh, their houses would actually come piling down. And so they would have to grab their stuff, leave the city, hang out for a few, we- for a few days, make sure it was safe, go back and rebuild their homes. And so they had an incredible opportunity that was met with a difficulty of consistency. And can I tell you, that is something that you and I are having to navigate currently. You have and I have a great deal of opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people. We have an incredible opportunity to stand in the gap, and I love what the missionary was saying about, like, man, man, this is an opportunity that we have. Man, we have that here in America, we have that all over the world, and we get an incredible opportunity. The question is, why are we so inconsistent? Why do we struggle so much? In fact, even in our, in our journey with God, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to see if we can trust God. We spend a lot of time praying, God, can I trust you? God, can I trust you? God, can I trust you? Can I show you some suspense? The question is not, can you trust God? The question is, can God trust you? The the question is, when God gives you an opportunity in your workplace to step up and invite someone to church, when God gives you an opportunity to see that person that's working down the hall and you know they're going through a divorce and you know they're struggling and you know they're in pain, do you have the boldness and the Spirit of God dwelling within you that would say, this is an opportunity and I'm going to be consistent enough to pay attention and to step into those spaces when God gives me an opportunity? Oh, we spend so much time praying for opportunities. And God's like, for real? Like, for real? Like today, you, you, nothing? <laughs> like today, you didn't, have, you didn't have opportunities to pray for people today? Like students, you're, you're gonna go to school, you're, like, you're not gonna have an opportunity every single day. By the way, I just wanna speak, I know the students are in the room, I'm gonna pause. You guys can listen in. <laughs> Students, you have a unique opportunity for gospel advancement in your schools. And here's why. This is why you, have, this is why you are strategically positioned to make a huge difference in your schools. And I, was, I got saved when I was 17 years old. And this is why you have such, such an ability to make a huge impact, and here's why. Because never again in your life will you have more in common with the immediate people around you than you do right now. Because if you are in middle school or if you are in high school, you are in a group of people that are all within about two to three years of you. You're all going to be, not exactly, but in a similar economic reality because you live in the same region. You're, you're gonna be navigating some of the same types of stuff. So you have a very, because then you're gonna graduate and you're gonna work and you're gonna work with people that are 30 years older than you and, and, and you're gonna get older and you're gonna work with people that are 20 years younger than you and, and you're gonna have people that moved here from Georgia and people that moved here from California. But, but, but right now, you are with a group of people that you have more in common with than you ever will. So your ability to speak into their life and encourage them is a very, very unique opportunity. And can I just encourage you? Don't miss it. Take advantage, man, I want you to look back, man, and go, man, when I was in middle school, and I was in high school, I wasn't perfect, but man, I shared the gospel. I wasn't perfect, but man, I leaned in. Come on, can we be praying for our young people that God would give them a boldness? (laughs) So we have this opportunity, but it's met with inconsistency. My prayer for us is that we would desire to be a pillar. And here's my point, my only point tonight is this, is that pillars are necessary and carry great weight while posts serve as decoration. I don't wanna be a post. I don't wanna be a post. Posts are decoration. Uh, We don't need any more decorative Christianity. I think if anything, the last two years, to be honest, I I think what it's taught me is, man, Lord, I, I, I don't wanna pastor people that are posts. God, I don't wanna lead in timidity and disciple posts. God, I, I wanna lead in such a way, uh, God, where people in our church are pillars. And there are a couple things to remember about, about pillars. Number one is that pillars are placed. Pillars are placed strategically. We're a six-year-old church, so I walk into this building, and I, I, have to, I struggle with coveting. <laughs> I walk in, I'm like, man, what a building. It's amazing, what a blessing, Right? And aren't you glad that when they built this building that there were like real engineers that knew what they were doing? And that I'm not that worried that all of the sudden the middle of the building is gonna cave in because there were people that knew what they were doing that went, hey, we're gonna put some support pillars all around this building that can carry the weight of the rest of this building. And and what you gotta understand is you gotta understand God knows what he's doing with your life. So if you are in that job, can we we just do this? Can we stop complaining about our jobs? I know this isn't my church, but this is how I talk to my church. Like, can we stop complaining? I don't like my boss, like yawn. (laughs) Like said everybody, you know what I mean? Like even the people that work for me, they're like, oh, that guy. Come on, can we stop complaining about our jobs and saying, God, I thank you so much that I have a job and that I'm able to put food on the table for my family and that I get the opportunity, God, to live out the gospel right here. Come on, let's stop waiting for the next season. Let's stop waiting. You are in the position you are in right now. Why? Because God wanted you there. And God put you in that spot. And I love that that, that post, or excuse me, that pillars are placed. The other one, this is a big one, pillars pass tests. Pillars pass tests. Now I want to see what kind of kind of crew I'm working with here, because there's always some strange people at church. (laughs) Now, 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 how many of you, if I were to ask, now, if my wife was here, if Christina was here, she she would raise her hand, because she is like she loves to be a student. She's like she she's working on her third graduate degree right now. I'm like, that's you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. (laughs) My wife would raise her hand to this question. How many of you? You like taking tests. Let me see your hand. Keep your hand up, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. You like taking tests. There's always about like eight strange folks. There's about eight weirdos in a room this size. <laughs> you, like, my wife would be raising her hand. Like my wife, she loves being evaluated. She, she loves like, like taking tests. And like there's something wrong. Now let me, ask, let me ask it maybe in a different way. How many of you like using things that have been tested? Like, aren't you glad your toothpaste has been tested? <laughs> Come on, aren't you, aren't you glad that that vehicle that you drive has been tested? That they, they, they put some dummies in there uh, before you got in there and they drove it into a wall to see what the car would do in case it was an accident. Isn't it fascinating how much we hate tests and yet we specifically like using things that have been tested? I know as preachers, we're supposed to connect the dots, but wouldn't you think that God is the same? Wouldn't you think that whenever you are going through a test, uh, God is setting you up to be used? And so that thing that you're going, oh, I wish I could have done an N around around this. I wish I didn't have to go through this. I wish I didn't have to experience this. Maybe just maybe like that is the test that God is allowing you to go through. Why? So you can be a pillar. Think about the ways that God has used you. He's only used you through the times you've been tested. He's only used you from the fact that, oh, when you were this age, your parents got divorced and that you had to navigate some things, and so now when you're talking to a friend that is experiencing the same thing, you are able to step into that place and minister with some boldness and some confidence. He's only used you after he's tested you. Last thing is this, is that pillars don't play games. Pillars don't play games. Now, now, I'm, I'm not saying don't have fun, don't enjoy life. But pillars understand the cost. Uh, Pillars understand that there are real life things that hang in the balance. Pillars understand that I don't have time to miss an opportunity. Pillars pillars understand that, uh, pillars don't waste time with like, I wonder what it'd be like to be a floor Pillars go, no, no, I'm a pillar and I do pillar things. I do the things that pillars do. I'm faithful to the house of God. I'm faithful in my generosity. I'm faithful to serve other people. I'm faithful to connect with God. I'm, I'm, I do pillar things. What's interesting in Revelation chapter three, verse seven, it starts out, I like the way it starts out. He says, I want you to write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, and this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. He says this, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I love that, I love that. What he opens, no one can close, what he closes, no one can open. We forget that one. (laughs) We forget that one. At at our door, at our house, uh, we have this like electrical kind of keypad where you can type in a little code and zzz, and it unlocks the door, it's really cool. And, uh, and, and what's interesting is we can actually give the code out to other people. So remember the old school time, you'd have to give somebody like a house key or you'd have to like put it under a mat or something like that. We can just give somebody a code. Now what is even cooler than that is that we can set the parameters on the code. So like if we have a guest that is in for the week that is staying with us, we can give them a code and we can set it up to where the day after, that leave, the, the, the day after they leave, that code won't work anymore. Or a little while back, um, there was something going on with our uh, air conditioning unit, but we weren't going to be home. And so we were able actually to give a one-time usage code to an air-conditioned person uh, that we knew and trusted to a degree, uh, that we could give a a, a one-time code that they could use it, and we could see it on our phone that they used their one-time code, and then once they went out, they locked it, and they could never use that code again. And we give out that code according to the person and the situation, and not everybody has the same access. Not everybody has the, like, my wife and I, we have 24-7 access. It's our house. But, but, but if you came up to me and you were like, hey, Pastor Andrew, like, let me get the code. <laughs> let me get that 24-7 code. I'd be like, Pastor Johnny? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I don't, I, I, no. <laughs> why, why? Because, because the depth of the relationship is not there to get the code. It's always fascinating to me that we go to God and we just expect access to everything automatically. We just expect 24 seven access. We, 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 we just expect everything. And so we never stop and ask ourselves why is this door closed to me? And I wanna give you like four reasons really quickly why I think a door might be closed to you right now. I'm, I'm just gonna just teach for just a second. Uh, here's the first one why a door may be locked is that you haven't walked through the general doors yet. You haven't walked through general doors yet. God has set up general doors. Let me give you a general door. Salvation. Salvation is a general door. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Right, that is prayer. Right, anyone who comes and sits with me, I'll come and sit with him and we will eat together. Right, there is general. I mean, some of you, you want very specific assignments and you don't even generally pray. Yeah, like, like, you want God to tell you, like, to the nth degree, you know, you want God to give you the, the parts of the Old Testament that we skip over. You know the parts we skip over, right? Like, uh, the Ark needs to be eight cubits and seven cubits and nine cubits, and, and the Ark of the Covenant's going to be 45 cubits, and you're like, speed reading, you're like, uh, It's like the names, you're like, eh, uh, okay, there's the, there's the real stuff. <laughs> you got to walk through general doors before you get to specific ones. Here's another reason why a door might be locked. This is an important one. You don't have the character yet for what's on the other side. You just don't have the character and God is a good, good father and he loves you. And so you might want in that door so badly, but you just don't have the character yet to get to that side. Another reason why a door might be locked is that it's not the right timing. There is such a thing as timing. In fact, remember when Jesus, uh, the disciple, Jesus' ministry is blowing up, and so all the disciples are like, hey, we need to go to the city. We, we need to bring this thing to, to like the city. We need to do this, and Jesus looks at them. I love I the way Jesus talked. I love this line. He says, uh, nope, it's not my time yet. For you, any time is good. <laughs> but for me, what? There's a timing to this thing. There's a timing to this thing. Might not be your time. And then the last one, and this, this is gonna be a tough one for some of us to hear. Another reason why a door might be locked is it just that door's not for you. It's just not for you. And I know that this is crazy in our inundated modern culture. But some of you ought to thank God for some of those locked doors. Some of you ought to thank God and say, "God, I'm so glad that I prayed for that, but I didn't get that. And instead, I got this." Is anybody else grateful for the fact that, come on, there were some things that you prayed for, and if you could have taken hold of them, you would have. But God kept the door locked, and you were trying to like lean in, and you were trying to pick the lock, and you were trying to get in, and God's like, "Nah, it's dead bolted. It's even got the little hotel lock on it. Like you're not getting in." And thank God, now you look back in hindsight, you go, thank God I didn't get in that room. Thank God I didn't marry that. That was for somebody. I felt the Shekinah, it just left me. That was for somebody. (laughs) Come on, thank God. You gotta thank God. He's the God that opens doors. He's the God that closes doors. And he says, I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. And he says, this is interesting. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Interesting in all this, he says, you have little strength. Uh, It's always weird when you find out that your wife or your spouse has a skill uh, that you didn't know about that is criminal? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I had this experience. Uh, this is when we were uh, uh, young adult pastors in the Seattle area, and, uh, and we got locked out of our house. And we, we didn't have our garage door, but we were locked out of our house, and, and so we call uh, uh, the, the company that would come and help us pick the lock, and we're sitting there for like five minutes. They said they would be about 15 minutes. We're sitting there for about five minutes and my wife goes out of nowhere. She goes, I think I could pick that lock. I think I could pick the lock. I've picked locks before. <laughs> and I'm like, I wanna know the context that you developed this skill. She goes, just give me like a, a credit card we don't like, maybe that we don't use or give, give me like a card or something like that. I'm like, here's my library card. Uh, <laughs> and she goes up, she goes up to the door and after like two minutes, I'm like, yeah, there's no way she can do this. She's from Alaska. There's like four people that live there. Who's locked was she picking? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and after like, like another like five minutes, like, and, and this was the worst part. After like five minutes, I see the truck coming that, that's going to open up our door. And all of a sudden, boom, she goes, I got it. She yells down to the car. I'm like, I can't believe she got that. That's that's amazing. She's just standing there, and then the guy drives up, and he gets out of the car, and he's now he's confused, because he's looking at my wife like standing up, like, "Hey, we're in," like with a mangled credit card. And I'm like, and so I tell him, I go, "Hey, man, my wife just picked the lock. She just got in, so we're good." He goes, "Okay, um, I still gotta charge you ninety dollars." And this is back when like $90 for us. Remember the $35 cup of coffee? I don't know some of you, I don't know what season of life you're in, but we used, to have season, we used to live in a season of life where we had like a $35 cup of coffee. If you don't know what that is, then you are rich friend. We're glad you're in the, in the room. Like $35 cup of coffee is when you got like $2 in the bank and you order a $5 coffee and then they hit you with the overdraft fee. So we used to call that a $35 cup of coffee. That's what we used to call it, there you go. Yeah, some of you. So, so this is back when we were in, like in the Lord, do what you can type of season of our life. And this brother says, hey, um, I gotta give you $90 just for the service, just for driving out here. And I go, bro, 90, bu-? I'm like, where'd you come from? Like, let me get you like $4 in gas money, like 90 bucks. And he goes, yeah, I I need your credit card for $90. He goes, in addition to that, I need to see your ID. And I was like, my ID? Why do you you need to see my ID? He says, well, because you just told me you broke into that house. And if I were to come here, and you guys hadn't gotten in yet, I would have need to see some sort of ID with this house address on it. You can't just call a locksmith and say, hey, I need in that house, and then come and open it up. And I go, oh, okay, so, so I show And it becomes this whole deal, we gotta pay this guy 90 bucks, I'm showing him my ID or I'm gonna get arrested. I'm like, this is brutal. And what it taught me is something that should be obvious it is, it is so much easier to walk into unlocked doors. It is so much easier to get into doors that are unlocked. And yet, time and time again, you and I keep trying to get into unlocked doors, but here, into locked doors, but here's what's beautiful, when you step into an unlocked door, your strength is so much less consequential when you walk through open doors. Like Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you're weak, and yet he's still doing something in and through them. See, see some of you, you think you're failing because you're weak. You think you're failing the test because you're weak. When you're in the door, and walking through the door that God has for you, your strength is inconsequential. So maybe, just maybe, it's because you're trying to get into the wrong room. It's not because you're weak, it's just because you're taking the wrong test. It's not because you're weak, it's just because, no, no, that's not what God has for you. And then I wanna finish, I wanna have the team come up. Because in verse 10, It's interesting, he says, because you've obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing. And then in verse 12 he says this, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never leave it. Oh, we need more pillars. We need more pillars. We need people that are more committed to becoming pillars than to becoming the best version of their personality profile. Now, now, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell myself a little bit. I uh, uh, am not a fan of personality profile tests. That guy loves it. Now now, again, if that's your thing and, and you work for a company and you do that or you do that at the church, that's great. Uh, on our staff, we have people that do that and it's awesome. I'm like, yeah, that's great. And I love it. And don't you love these? My favorite are the people that like, like, and there's undoubtedly somebody in this room, we have a bunch of them at our church. They'll talk to you like you're supposed to know the personality profile lingo. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and go, oh, what number are you? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but is this some sort of thing? Like, like let's, let's do a little, Like, I love this, this will be fun. How, how, how many ones are there? Any, any ones in the room right now, any ones? Twos, twos if you're two, threes? Threes, threes, fours, fours, fives, fives, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, I don't even think there's 11. There's not 10. I don't know how many there are. But come on, you ever hear people talk about person like I'm an ENTJ, I'm an INTJ. And, 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 they, and that's awesome and that's great. But you're like, but are you a pillar? I mean, that's great. I think it's great. You gotta understand yourself, understand your personality, and all that. that. That's great. But it doesn't matter what you are if you're not a pillar. Doesn't matter what your personality is if you're not a pillar. It, it, it doesn't, because it doesn't matter what your, what your personality is if you are not connected to the body of Christ, collectively bringing all that you are so that we can make a difference in the world. That's what really matters. Jesus uses this term in particular, that that you will be a pillar and that your name will be Esh, is because the people in Philadelphia would have totally understood this because if you worked for the government at that time and you served the state well, and then you retired, your name would get written on a pillar in one of the houses of worship to the false gods. So your name, job well done. They'd write that person's name in these, on these pillars. And so what Jesus was saying is saying, hey, if you serve me, your name will be written on the pillars in the house of God. Now, obviously what he's juxtaposing and what he's telling us and helping us understand is, listen, if your name is written on a pillar in the house of a false God, your name's coming down. All those buildings are coming down. But if you are a pillar in the house of God, he says, hey, you're gonna be with me forever. But we gotta, t- we, we gotta draw some lines in the sand. We gotta draw some lines in the sand. We gotta learn some things, not things that we have to relearn and relearn and relearn. Like I remember when I was 17, I started going to church and I would sit kind of in our sanctuary, would be the same version of kind of right over here. And I would worship right in the second row and my pastor would sit right there and it was in that moment, I remember when being fresh to faith and coming and worshiping in that second row and lifting my hands and singing, every, like, like just singing my guts out. It was there that I learned, man, I love being a part of the body of Christ. Oh, I love being a part of the body of Christ. I remember the first area that I ever got involved with in church was leading worship. I was just a passionate worship leader and we were church plants, so they were like, hey kid, come up here. I started leading worship. And it was there that the thing that got settled in my spirit is, man, I love utilizing my gifts to help other people. It was there that that time was cemented. I remember when I was in college and I was the janitor in the summer. Every summer I'd come back and I was the church janitor and, and, and they, they, they paid me, and, and, uh, and, which was shocking because I would have done it for free. But I was like, this is a hustle, this is great. And I remember, I was going through one of those seasons, i have been following Jesus for about four years at this time, and it was the first time in my spiritual walk that I didn't feel the presence of God. And so I remember I had a key to the church, so I went to the church that night, and I, and I remember I kneeled on the, on the steps, and I, just like this, and I remember kneeling, and I remember just telling God, God, I'm not leaving until I sense your presence. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave. And I remember I I was like, fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep. Till about eight in the morning, I I sensed just the presence of God for the first time in probably a couple months. And it was there that I learned this isn't a phase for me. I'm gonna follow God all the days of my life. This is not contingent on a feeling. This isn't contingent on what God's doing in my life at that time. I, I, I am in it and I'm going to contend for the presence of God. I remember I came on staff at that same church. I remember I'd sit where the pastors sat. And I'm like, this is a trip, man. (laughs) Because how many of you, you know you, huh? So when God starts to use you, one of the things that the enemy will try to do is to try to intimidate you by reminding you who you are. And I remember sitting kind of in the pastor's row where I'm like, I can't believe I'm on like a pastor at this church. And it was in that season that I counted the cost of what it took to go, God, I'm yours. A life consecrated. I remember when Christine and I first started to try to have kids. And again, one month turned into six months, turned into a year, turned into five years, turned into nine years. And I know what it's like to throw the baby showers and have a young staff and everybody's pregnant. People get, sit on toilet seats at our church and they're pregnant. I'm like, what? <laughs> everybody's pregnant at Gray City, <laughs> except us. And I know what it's like. And I know what it's like to think we were and then, and then not be, and, and then all of a sudden to get that positive test. And it was in that moment that I realized, oh, I know how to contend for things. Listen, if you're going to be a pillar, you got to be a pillar. Let me say it this way. We have to be able to count on you. Faith Assembly wants to be able to count on you. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.